You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Heavy is the head that wears the crown. I put in extra work that just can't be found. I took the sword out the stone, wasn't a thing. Look me in my eyes cause I'm a king. Look me in my eyes cause I'm a king. God made me punch in accurate numbers. My castle won't crumble. What I tackle will fumble. I've been a leader when they ain't see it, but now my feet is up. According to me, royalty didn't end with King Tut. Crown on my head, clouds is at my legs. Big says sky is the limit. I look down on the ledge. I push the bar like I'm opening the cell. Hands in my cookie jar, you won't come out with a single nail. I need all of mine. The weight of my shoulders won't fit on a scale. What's a king to a giant? Well, Goliath fell. Even if we playing chess, dog, this king can't be checked. I make all my moves on the board. I invented my steps. Uh-huh. I'm a king, the blood of a ruler. I feel like Mansa Musa. Make your squad disappear like landing by the Bermuda. Triangle, look at it from my angle. I'm a king, the closest thing to being one of God's angels. Yeah. I'm a king. Heavy is the head that wears the crown. I put in extra work that just can't be found. I took the sword out the stone, wasn't a thing. Look me in my eyes cause I'm a king. Look me in my eyes cause I'm a king. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. This is the Code of Conduct with the King Podcast. I am your host, Jay Spencer King, and you are listening to the Code of Conduct on the Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network, presented by Picasso Pizza. Treat yourself to the most flavorful pizza on game day, Picasso's. We are Buffalo Pizza, shipping local and nationwide. Order online at PicassoPizza.net. What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? It is a special, well, I guess this isn't a special edition because we just don't have a game. (laughs) We just don't have a game. Um, We just got done witnessing over the weekend the um, NFC Championship game and the AFC Championship game, of which the Buffalo Bills did not participate. So that's why I was starting to say, like, this is a special edition. It's not. It's just um, it's off-season mode for the Buffalo Bills and their fan base. So um, this episode, I have a special guest. I have Nate Geary joining me shortly. And we're going to be talking about where we are currently in our five stages of grief. <laughs> so because uh, I feel like every fan, you know, when you when you fall in love with the Bills and then we go through this it seems like now I think Diggs asked the question last week and, and Isaiah McKenzie said it publicly, you know, why does this keep happening every year? How does this happen again? The same thing every year. And I think at some point it, it gets, it gets tiring as I'm sure the players are tired, but as a fan who, you know, I've been in love with this team a lot longer than Stefan Diggs has been on the roster or I've been in love with this team a lot longer than Isaiah McKenzie or Josh Allen or a lot. Like, honestly, um, a lot of the listeners probably fell in love with this team before a guy like, you know, Stefan Diggs was born or before Josh Allen was born. So there's a, there's a different 
connection and a different type of love that you have for the team. If you're a fan or a player, I respect both sides of it. Obviously, the players are invested in the now. They're invested uh, because they're now a part of the community. They're a part of, um, you know, I mean, payroll. They, you know, it, all of those things factor in. As a fan, you just grow up loving this team. You grow up loving the roster, and it doesn't matter um, if it, it doesn't matter if you were kind of born into the situation or you moved to Buffalo. But I, I do think that there is something to be said about. Uh, how the fans and the players see it differently. And so before I kind of jump into that, I'm going to bring Nate in and we'll get right to it. So uh, like I said, we're going to be talking about where we currently are in our five stages of grief. <laughs> and then we're going to talk about um, a couple of other things. I think it's going to be a good episode. What is going on, my man, Nate? Spets, what's happening, man? How we doing? Man, we're all right. I just got done. I was talking about how, um, you know, I know Isaiah McKenzie and Stefan Diggs had a conversation public or privately and then it kind of became public when when McKenzie mentioned that Diggs was asking like how does this keep happening to us like every year year in and year out and I guess the point that I was bringing up now is like I get that they say that and I understand that they're invested as a player like they're on the payroll now they're uh, you know they're part of the community they do their charity work in western New York but I think it's it's a little bit different of a frustration as a fan when you've lived in Buffalo for 30 plus years or however many years you know there's some people who are older like they've been fans of the Bills longer than Stefan Diggs has been alive. So I think sometimes the aggravation is it's a different type of connection. Uh, where are you at currently when it comes to the, the now? I mean, it's been a week. We just got done witnessing the, the championship games. Um, where are you at in your five stages of grief? Well, I'll tell you what, the uh, championship games did not do a lot of uh, good for me if I was uh, trying to use those games to move on. Um, I, I think you watched, especially in that, AFC championship game. I think you saw two teams in that game that are playing at a little bit different level than the bills. And, and, and maybe I want to look schematically offensively and just the defensive line on the, def on the defensive side of the football, both defensive mm -hmm. lines um, really dominated the football game. And I think you went into this game and if you were a prognosticator, if you were previewing this game, if you're on the chief side, if you're on the Bengal side, you're thinking what 30, 31 points, 35 points going to win this football game, and not so fast. Um, these are two very good defensive football teams with two very accomplished, very scheme-oriented defensive coordinators. And boy, did both of those guys, Spagnolo and uh, Amarillo, uh, put together just unbelievable game plans that were executed really well. And, and I think if you look at that game yesterday and you watch Joe Burrow on the first two drives – and was it three sacks on the first two drives and a three and out? And then they, I think there was a first down and then a punt on the second drive from the Bengals. And, and to see them do it with relative ease, Kansas City. And by the way, Kansas City is not really known to be a defensive team right now. They've got Chris no. Jones. They've got Willie Gay. They've got uh, Bolton, Nick Bolton, that linebacker. And they've got young corners and young safeties. I just, you know, I, I guess when I looked at that, I think I, I, think I used the Tony Soprano gift of watching that Chiefs defensive line work that Bengals offensive line with ease, knowing that the Bills could generate absolutely no level of pressure in that home game a week ago. So I, I think, you know, I watched those games yesterday and I felt a little discouraged more than anything else. And then, you know, don't even get me started on the Eagles. I mean, may, maybe it's better off the Bills didn't have to run through that buzzsaw because they look like a team uh, destined to win a Super Bowl and good for them. I mean, they, they've mm -hmm. got that, – that, that's a roster that's been – 
you know, sort of brewing for some time with Howie Roseman. And and listen, man, you, you, you can't deny uh, what Jalen Hurts has been able to do since coming in the NFL. So maybe maybe it's a blessing this year not to get to another Super Bowl and lose one. Um, but I think you look at this roster, and we'll talk about it now. It's, you know, I, I think we're officially in the transitionary phase of the Super Bowl window. And um, by the way, that's what's going to happen to the Bengals this year. Everyone keeps talking about the $40 million that they've got in cap room. That goes pretty quick when you've got a bunch of guys that are uh, going to be free agents, including their, you know, all-pro safety, Jesse Bates. Um, and when you consider that they're, what, are going to earmark what? 50, 60, 70 million of that mm-hmm. for Joe for Joe Burrow. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I, I think that y- you look at the Chiefs as sort of the model of how to continue winning. Your quarterback's going to play at a high level, and you have to have a really strong offensive scheme. And right now, I think they've got a quarterback that can play at a really high level. I'm not sure that the scheme can follow. Yeah, and you know what? Let's talk about this game for a bit because I know so Leslie Frazier's def- you know, he's his contract is up, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think that there's been some conflicting reports about that. I I, I don't know. I, I was under the impression it was. I think John Warrow of the Associated Press said that he does not believe that Kendra, that um, that Leslie Frazier's contract is expiring this year. So I don't really have a good answer. I I, mm-hmm. I think we should probably we should probably operate as if he is under contract next year. I, I think just to be so they don't drive ourselves crazy. Yeah, well, that's kind of where I was at, too, as well. It's like, to me, um, there has been no conversation really about moving on from him. There's been, to me, there's no indi- indication that they even feel like there should be a discussion about it. Because um, it, it feels like, um, you know, for, what, 75% of the time that he's been our defensive coordinator, we've had a top five defense. Mm-hmm. And I, now I understand, fast forward to the playoffs, and it seems like we our defense lets us down in the biggest games of the year. Uh, but I do think that there's something to be said, and I want your opinion on this. So I got into a little debate with, with Jerry Ostrowski, Joe mm-hmm. Miller, and John Fina. We were talking about uh, Leslie Frazier. They're great guys. And we were talking about, actually, while we were watching the game, we have like this, this text thread that we have going on. And Joe's like, we don't need to bring Frazier back. <laughs> we don't need to bring him back at all. Like, just move on from this guy. And I'm like, well, I, I think, I think the way the team looks at it is they'll stick with a guy that that leads them to top defense almost every year. But this is where I have the issue when it comes to our coaching structure. I think um, it's all fine and dandy that Sean McDermott has trust in his leadership. Like, I understand that, hey, Ken Dorsey's calling the offensive cause. Leslie Frazier's calling defense. My problem comes into play in the biggest moments of the year. So in the play, and I'm not talking about just one play or a drive, but I think when it comes down to uh, the playoffs, I think Sean McDermott should be a lot more involved. Therefore, he should be a lot more accountable when we don't win. I feel like he's kind of yeah. taking it out every year now. 13 seconds happens, and it's like, well, you know, things were communicated. but they, Yeah, and it's like, so So my issue with Sean McDermott is I don't want him. I don't want his head. I don't want him fired. But I feel like this is the next step of coaching that I'm ready for. I don't want to let go of Frazier. I don't want to let go of Ken Dorsey. I think that they do a good job. But I think McDermott has to now take – somewhat more of a leadership role when it comes to the coaching in big moments. And then that way it falls on his shoulders. Yeah, this is, I think the the surface you're scratching here, Spence is a fundamental issue for me, which is, you know, I, I don't disagree with you that I'm maybe looking for Sean McDermott to be more hands-on and he can do that defensively. The problem is, is you have a former head coach, you have the CEO of the defense and Leslie Frazier. If you start 
it's hard to know what level of involvement Sean McDermott is in during the week, during the game plan. I'm sure there is a lot of involvement. The thing that makes this Bills defense unique is it's a very straightforward scheme. It is a Tampa 2. It is, which by the way, I, I'm not here to tell you that it's an obsolete defense, but it's definitely a defense that I think has evolved into some different things. I think you're seeing teams play more two-man and playing man underneath with two high safeties. And the Bills drafted a corner in the first round and didn't really play more man coverage. And they certainly didn't play a lot of press man. And they did not in that playoff matchup when I think it was very obvious they needed to. So I, I think about this. They are a very rudimentary. They're a very basic defense in how they're structured. What makes them complex is their checks at the line of scrimmage. The... Um, the coverages that they can roll into when they have Hyde and Poyer back there, when they have a healthy Tredavious White, um, and when they have Tremaine Edmonds. And that's we don't know if this defense is going to continue on with Tremaine Edmonds. So I think that the back end is so solidified, and they've spent a lot of resources on the front end to be good. It just hasn't materialized. The thing is, is when you start bringing in new guys, those checks, those complex checks, become more difficult to execute in a game situation. Because when you're starting in basic defense and checking into more layered things as the play goes on and you're bringing in DeMar Hamlin and then Hamlin goes out and now you've got, uh, you know, uh, uh, Dean Marlowe and now you got, you know, uh, rookies in Elam and then Dane Jackson and then you got, you know, Dobson coming in and then you, all of a sudden, you know, this, this high efficiency, high powered machine that's been this Bill's defense for so long you start to see breaks in coverage and you saw it two times in the first two touchdowns in that game or broken coverages. I can't tell you the last time I've seen a broken coverage in a game, much less broken coverage that cost two touchdowns in two consecutive series. So that to me speaks to something, I guess for me, the fundamental issue you're going to always have with Sean McDermott, but not just Sean McDermott, any defensive coach as your head coach, this is an offensive league and when you have an elite level play caller on the offensive side of the ball, he will not be there long. And you're always going to have the pressure is going to be on Sean McDermott to hire and develop offensive minds when he himself is not one. And I think that's really the key fundamental issue that I have is without a coach with as, as a play caller, even if you look around the league, the defensive guys, the Brandon Staley's, he is, he is very hands-on in that defense on that defensive mm-hmm. room. But can you name me who the Chargers defensive coordinator is? I can't. I can't. I know a lot of football. I can't. I can't tell you who their defensive coordinator is. Yeah. And my point is that he is sort of the de facto face of that defense. And, you know, whether or not you want Sean McDermott to be more hands-on and I'm from the defensive side of the football and maybe focus less on the CEO stuff. If you remember two years ago, we wanted him just to focus on the game management stuff because that was the area that we felt, you know, he lacked in and needed to be better in. And during the regular season, he's one of the most aggressive and one of the best coaches in terms of mathematical situations, when they should, when they shouldn't go for situations. And then they freezes up a little bit in the playoffs. So I think this is sort of a three layered thing with the coaches. Are you going to, do you want them to allocate more time to the defensive side of the football when you have, and you're paying Leslie Frazier as a former head coach, as a guy that's coached defense in this league for a very long time, if you're asking your head coach to be more hands-on, it sounds like you have a defensive coordinator problem and you should move on from the defensive coordinator and find someone that you can trust and you can set it and forget it on the defensive side of the ball. So, and I also think on the offensive side of the ball, a first-time coordinator in hindsight probably wasn't a smart move for this team. Um, Mm -hmm. And 
it's it's only because you don't have time to wait for a, to develop a coordinator uh, just to get him to a point where he's eventually going to get another opportunity to leave, right? So that's yeah. it's this it's this vicious cycle the Bills are going to find themselves in, partially because their head coach is a defensive head coach. And if you want to look back to the to the final eight teams, everybody knows seven of the eight final eight teams all mm-hmm. offensive coaches as their head coach. Yeah, and and so I get what you're saying too, as far as the defensive side of it. Um, I don't know if I. So maybe I'm stating the the I'm making the statement wrong, or I'm asking the question incorrectly because I'm not saying it where I, I I want to feel like I have an issue with Fraser. I, I'm actually sure. one of the few that I feel like you know what Fraser gives us a very good chance to win almost every single week. Is there's not many weeks that you go you come out of a game and you're like, man, the defense sure stunk it up that week. You know, even if we lose, if we lose a game like the games that we lost, I would say the Vikings game, and then. Honestly, I don't. I don't put blame on the defense too often. You get what I'm saying. So I, would, like, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. So with that, with me saying it that way, I don't have much of a problem with Leslie Frazier at all. What I guess what I'm saying is, at the end of the day, so now you are in the playoffs and you're playing against the six best teams in your conference. At that that's, point, that's where you want more Sean McDermott, right? I want Sean McDermott to step up and say, okay, okay, sure, this is the game plan, but. I want to be more involved in this. I want to be more hands-on in this. I'm not at all complaining about – I think Leslie Frazier, what he's done with this Buffalo Bills, the culture on the defense has been amazing. Like, I remember it being – now, we do need to fix third and long or fourth and long. I don't know why. For some reason, it seems like we cannot – get. I, I'd rather see the Bills on fourth and two on defense than fourth yeah. and 20 because it seems like every time they're just going to give up the 20 yards. They're going to give up the 18 yards. I I have no idea why we continue. But other than that, I don't have an issue with with Frazier. My issue with McDermott is that it seems like in the playoffs he disappears. And you kind of alluded to that when you're talking about how aggressive he is or isn't with certain calls and stuff. It just – I'm sure Bills fans, everybody, we feel the same way. It's like, look, at at what point are we finally going to get over the hump? And can we finally get over the hump with this guy as our head coach? I made the the analogy uh, last week. I was talking to – to Joe, are you a basketball fan at all? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm sure you, you're familiar with how Mark Jackson, how the whole thing happened with the the uh, who am I talking about? Uh, Golden State, Golden State Warriors. So he he was the coach, led them to the playoffs on a 51 yep. and 31 record. He drafted Steph Curry, he drafted Clay Thompson, drafted Draymond Green, right? So yeah, McDermott, Bean, they come in, they draft Josh, they draft Tremaine, and. Like, you know, so they build this this core of players and they change the culture and they do all of this. But is it going to be where now I'm saying this with respect in the NFL? I know some guys don't win their first Super Bowl until 15 years of coaching, eight years. Mm -hmm. of So I get that. But what I'm saying is, is is he the guy that's like a good architect of or he, he can draw the blueprint, but he's not the guy to actually build it to the point where we get across the finish line? I I think it's a. It's a really interesting and complex topic. I, I think there's layers to it. I think you got to look at it and you got to think to yourself, you know, again, I, I think I'll probably continue going back to the offense versus defensive head coach standpoint. And I think, you know, seeing what he does as a head coach in those moments, right? Going forward on fourth down, going for two point conversions, um, understanding those, those situational football uh points during the regular season. I mean, again, the numbers bear out. He would think he was the second most aggressive coach in football last year, or I think it was, he ranked second amongst all coaches in going forward in neutral down situations, situations that you should go for it. He does. So as a game manager, 
it's not really the problem to me. It's just what what is it about this team that when they get into the biggest moments that they're falling short? And I think there's a as much as I, I listen and my disdain at times for the defensive side of the ball and for the coordinator Leslie Frazier is not because I don't like or respect Leslie Frazier. I think Leslie Frazier is a fundamental piece to the NFL as we've gone along in terms of defensive coordinators, defensive schemes. Um, I mean, he was, he's a, I think he's in the college football hall of fame. He's, he was a great NFL player. He was, I think he won a Super Bowl with the bears back in the day. Right. So he's got all these accolades. There is nothing on my resume that could match what Leslie Frazier has on his, but I think, I think it's safe though, or it's, it's at least you, what you can, I think say is, has this coach, whether it's McDermott, whether it's Frazier, those are the guys I think you got to really look at here because again, I'm not, we just, I, I don't know if we have enough with Ken Dorsey to really form an opinion yet, but with Frazier, I think it's, it's fair to ask, you know, has he maxed out his opportunity? Has he maxed out this group of players? And then the second question you have to ask yourself, Spence is, is he going to be able to do it with inferior talent? Because I think what we saw is when there's no Daquan Jones, the entire thing breaks down. And mm-hmm. I like Daquan Jones. Great player. He ain't Chris Jones. He ain't these top-end, one-technique defensive tackles. He can't be the thing that is holding your entire defensive success together. And it felt that way. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, they lose Von Miller. And, you know, you look at Lou Anarumo, right? He can drop – he can rush four and drop seven if he wants. Or he can bring a bunch of disguised blitzes, disguise them very well – get guys open and get guys free and get after a quarterback. The thing that you saw, I think when towards the end of the season, when the bills defense started to really consistently struggle is two things. They were not good at disguising blitzes. They were not good at freeing up guys off double teams, meaning mm-hmm. you can bring a blitz or you can show a blitz that forces the offensive line to move away from double teaming at Oliver. So the idea that no Daquan Jones well, now they're just going to be able to double team at Oliver. That just can't be something that you can li- that that you should live with. You got to have a defensive coordinator that understands how can I occupy that center so he is not able to double team at Oliver. It's my job as a coach to make sure that I'm giving Ed Oliver the best opportunities to succeed. And in that game, Ed Oliver got double teamed a whole bunch, and he did not beat any of them. So, yeah. like that's one thing to me. Here is the thing that stands out to me. And it's the most frustrating thing that I can think of. This is the best example of one. I'm sure there's other examples of this. You talked about blueprint. Well, this is a defensive staff that does not follow blueprints. They are ultimately very, very trustworthy. They're very confident in what they do. Go back a couple of weeks. Go back 10 weeks ago, eight weeks ago. Miami goes through the stretch of the Chargers against their third stringers. I mean, absolutely dismantled to a tongue of Viola. Why? Brandon Staley, the head coach, built a game plan that funneled all of their receivers to the outside. They effectively closed off the middle of the field. They were turning their defensive backs towards the sideline, saying, if you're coming here, you're going to be covered, and there's no spots for you, right? I think in that game, the the that was the start of their big losing streak. Next week, 49ers, what do they do? They copy the Brandon Staley blueprint. They do the same thing. They beat the Dolphins. Tua gets shut down. Well, now they go to it's it's home against Green Bay on Sunday Night Football, right? Mm-hmm. The Green Bay Packers followed the exact same blueprint, and now there's conversations. 
is Tua, is this offense falling apart? Can Tua still do this? Well, now yeah. they've got to go to Buffalo in the cold. Is it, it's, you know, I like it colder, whatever, all the story points, storylines in that game. Well, they go out and have their best game in three consecutive weeks of being shut down offensively. Why? Because the Bills did not follow the blueprint that were laid out by the previous three opponents that showed exactly how to shut this guy down. And what happens? They score 29 points. And that game was way too close for comfort. So for me, that was a real, real, real issue for me is don't overthink it. Take This is a copycat league. It's okay to be more than just who you are on a weekend down in, you know, a play-in and play-out basis. It's okay to look at what other teams do and say, I'm going to copy that, especially against an opponent like the Dolphins. So that was one thing that really, really bothered me about, like, are these guys just maybe too overconfident in what they do that mm-hmm. maybe they think their shit don't stink, you know? And sometimes you got, you need to be able to look in the mirror and say, that works better than what I've got going. Let's prepare that way. And not even if it works better than what I've got going, but also like, oh, well, this is clearly this is clearly kryptonite for this particular team. So like, I mean, just, yeah. just do it. Like every week you're playing a different team and you have to scheme for different guys. Like, you That's know, the Bill Belichick thing. A hundred percent. And and I just don't understand, man, like how you have this much history now. You have this much film on all of these teams and all these coaches. You know, you, like you just you, you know what they like to do. You know what they I, I just don't understand how, you know, we can have this conversation. again. I feel like I could have had you on the same exact week last season and we could have had the same exact conversation. Same and it, it, it's just it's frustrating to go through the cycle of, man, this team is really good. Man, this team is really hard to beat. Oh man, we won a division now. Oh man, we're and then at the end of the day, we're we're still talking about the Chiefs being in the Super Bowl or yeah. being in the AFC Championship. It's just it's just frustrating. So you know, though, moving on. Oh, go ahead. Hold go on. Ahead. One thing though is like you don't fumble on your goal line and give up a touchdown to the Minnesota Vikings. You beat the Vikings. You're hosting that AFC Championship game against the Chiefs because you're not because you're playing the Jaguars in the divisional round, and you got a bye week in Week One. That game, and what did we look back this year? What do we look back after 2021 and say? They got to get to one seed. That's their best route. That is that is the formula. That's the blueprint. Yeah. And one play, one game, kind of changed the whole outlook of that season. And, you know, obviously, we don't know what happens if Tamar Hamlin injury doesn't happen. We, we'll never know what happens. People could speculate yeah. the Bills. Maybe they would have got ran off the field like they did on the in the AFC division round. I don't know, but I could tell you that if the route was Jacksonville, home against Jacksonville, and then home against Kansas City in that game on Sunday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We might be talking about a different season, man. It's crazy. No, I mean, you're right. There's like you you figure we lost to three games during the regular season by eight points. So, like, I know you're talking about that yeah. Vikings game, but I often look at that Miami game. You yeah. Know, I look, I, I think about that drop touchdown pass to Gabe Davis in the end zone. I, I think about the skip pass off the ground to to uh, McKenzie. Yep. So, so I get first. I get it. That that game was different. Dehydration was real. I was down there and I couldn't get enough water. So I get it. But you think about those two games, you think about the third, and it's just like, okay, at, at some point, you know, 
And, you know, we were going to talk about the, the coordinators. We already kind of talked about Frazier. Let's talk a little bit about Dorsey, too, because I do feel like – so you mentioned the fumble on the goal line. You mentioned um, other plays. I'm sure we both can kind of run some plays off throughout the season where it's just like, why the hell are we making this call? Like, even this last game that we played in, it was, what, fourth and two? And we throw a bomb to Davis when we had an open Knox – crossing and we also had an open Beasley crossing pick up three yards or pick up five yards for the first down where do we have to grow with the you mentioned earlier probably not the best decision for a first year offensive play caller but we did it now now it's his second year yeah what what do where what areas do you feel he needs to grow in for this to not be so much on Josh Allen's shoulder offensively and then also for us to take that next step forward yeah it, it did feel like they lacked an identity um, mm-hmm. and that they didn't have go-to concepts that at the end of the day, when all else fails, here's what we have. We know it works. And, and I think that a lot of times this offense became predictable to the concepts. And what I mean by that is, okay, well, the defense can dictate what plays, what cluster of plays you're going to go to based on the coverages they show you. So if you're a cover four team, if you are Cincinnati and you're going to run a lot of two man, you're going to run a lot of cover four quarters, and you're going to run quarter, quarter, half. You're going to run some man on one side, zone on another side. But you got the horses to do all this, right? you got some multiple coverages. Or if you're a cover two team, you know by watching this Bills offense that there is a cluster of plays and concepts that they routinely go to that are disguised in different personnel groupings, right? It's not all these plays. Like, you might have 500 plays in, in, in the Bills playbook, right? But how those plays are judged or how those plays differ isn't really the concepts. There's, you know, a group of 35, 50 concepts that are disguised and masked in different personnel groupings and different formations and different pre post snap motions and, and different, um, you know, um, and maybe different personnel and route groupings, right. Or route combinations. So like I, I viewed a lot of times last year is they became predictable and they almost became like the defense was almost baiting the bills to do the things they knew they were going to do and the concepts they were running. And Mm -hmm. I think that part of that is, you know, for me, making the game easier for Josh Allen is really important. He just always is asked to do the toughest stuff in the NFL where you look at Burrow, you look at Mahomes, go look at their, their NFL next gen stats charts, right? They're throwing all over the Patrick Mahomes had one attempt of over 30 plus air yards yesterday. One. So like being able to use, and, and I love this saying, and, and you hear it, um, you hear about, you hear about balance a lot, right? Like, well, you, and, and I, please tell me, I mean, Spence, how many times people want to talk ball with you? What's the first thing they say? Well, you know, I think the bills, they got to be able to run the football better. They got to run the football better. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, yo, let me like, let me just stop you. Like, I don't, I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I know you probably know football. I mean, no, I don't need them to run the football more. Like I thought no. we were done with this conversation, right? No, but what it is is balance to me is not at the end of the day or the end of the end of this football season and saying, what is the percentage of pass to run ratio? What does that look like? To me, that's not that's not balance. And the late Mike Leach used to say, balance is when you force a defense to defend every blade of grass, that every mm-hmm. concept is open to you, that if you run something, you've got five, 10 answers against that guy's one look. And it felt yep. like the Bills did not have that. Um, and some of that comes with experience, but you know the rollout game, like cutting down the field, you're talking about Josh Allen getting, and some of this is on Josh, right? But sometimes you have to help your quarterback. Even Mahomes gets a lot of help from his scheme. Burrow, a mm-hmm. lot of help from Brian Callahan in his scheme. Like when your quarterback is trying to press the football down the field and you're giving him open underneath options, he's not taking them. 
Well, then get make him and turn some into that and turn some you know plays into half field reads. Get him rolling out, especially when you can't protect. Get him rolling out. Spread the field and, and cut it in half and make it easier for him to. He's one of the best quarterbacks on the run in the league. We just only expect him to do it when it's off schedule, not when they're playing sprint out uh, concepts, right? So, yeah. like doing that. And don't even get me going on the screen game. You know, like how can we build in layups? And I've just been asking for this for it seems like, you know, even going dating back to Brian Dable is how do you give your quarterback a way to get hot? Right. Get Dang. get the ball, get the ball into James Cook's hand and let him cook. Get the ball in the hands of Dawson Knox and a tight end screen. Let him cook. You watch all these teams do it. You saw it against the Bengals last or last night. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs run a, a really well-disguised screenplay. And this team just has been unable to, one way or another, even in Brett with Brian Dable, create and develop a good screen game. And I just think these are the easy layups that this offense did not have. And I don't want to feel like the guy that's like, yo, like these feel like common sense ideas. Like I should, I'm not recreating the wheel by saying, yo, we should go to the sprint out game. Like that should just be a layer of your offense. You know what I mean? But you know what? So you say that, and first of all, you're right. I'm 100% in agreement with you. I went back and watched the entire season. I didn't have much to do last week. I was upset and bored. <laughs> so I went back and I watched the entire Buffalo Bills season. The first three weeks of the year, the offense, and I get it. We played against the the Rams who weren't the same as right. the championship team. Yep. Uh, you know, we played the Titans who I don't feel like really – had a they great year yeah. right so so i mean i understand but from an offense only perspective if you go and look at those games man the first game especially they were using very short routes for digs he i think the first game i think he had like 12 receptions you know and and most of them were like short five-yard passes that he yep. turned into 11-yard, 15-yard games. And and it's like, in my mind, that was the attack that we were going to have all year. Let Diggs get the short passes. I, you know, I know we had Crowder in there before he got injured. But I'm saying, like, yep. use use these guys in ways where, hey, okay, you're good with your route. Get open really quickly. I'll get you the ball. Boom. You can make something happen. I don't know what happened. And, and to your point about – I mean, I feel like we had this complaint about screens with, with Dayball, not this last, not the previous season, but the one before. It's like, why can't we run screenplays and why can't we do this? At some point, man, I, I just I just feel like, you know, I agree with you. We got to we got to help Josh out. You had Tua for most of the season when he was healthy, look like an MVP caliber quarterback mm -hmm. because the scheme helped him to That's be right. the best version of himself. Uh, it's it's frustrating, man. Like it's, and then so it's like from from here. Where do we go now? You know, you, you talk yeah. about the cap space. You talk about the free agency class isn't too hot when it comes to receivers for me anyway, or whatever. But we got to add more weapons. I, I can't be the only one who feels like he didn't have a bad year. But Gabe Davis also underperformed from my he expectations. Did. He did. Um, I think Knox performed well late, like maybe the last quarter of the season in the, in the playoffs, but. For the entire year, I wasn't overly thrilled with the, the performance that we got out of Dawson Knox. I know he had some off-field – like, I know his mental health was in question. Yep. So, I, I'm saying that with respect. But I don't know. I just – I feel like there needs to be more consistency from another player not named Stefan Diggs on the offense. Yeah, I would agree. Here's the thing, though, is part of that falls on your offensive coordinator. You know, you got to find unique ways to get Dawson Knox involved in the game. He's the type of athlete that warrants and deserves – unique play calls that deserves opportunities for you to scheme him open on plays and for you to feature him in place. The same can be said for Gabriel Davis. You can't go from the guy that we saw in the playoff game being utilized out of the slot 
to the guy that basically ran three or four routes all season from the outside, didn't really get moved to this whole the slot a whole lot after we saw him do what he did in that playoff game. So part of that is on the offensive coordinator to say like, Hey, help these guys. Like you can't just be backyard football. It can't be the same three, four, five, six concepts. It can't be the same three, four, five routes. And like, you know, I think about it this way too, the RPO. I mean, the Bengals shut that down. I mean, it was not available to the Bills. They ran that same sorry RPO concept a hundred times. It was the interception on Thanksgiving. That exact same RPO concept was the interception. And everyone said, well, Josh should have hold on to the football longer. Man, don't even get me started on that because if you, you're telling the quarterback to hold the football longer in RPO, you don't know what an RPO you're in is. Trouble. Yeah, you're in so, trouble. So, you know, and I, so I think about, okay, well, what do you do? First and foremost, I, I think this team has to be considering bringing Cole Beasley back, um, at least on a one-year deal. I'd like to get him here in the summertime um, fully integrated into this offense. I think it's very real possibility that they move on from Isaiah McKenzie this offseason. Uh, they're going to have to try and find areas to to cut some salary. They should, can, you know, and, and we know that Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean like to keep special teams guys that are core special teamers. So and I, I think Tyler Matakavich is a free agent. Um, Taiwan Jones is going to be a free agent. Like, how do you, and, and you know, are, are you going to bring back Jay Kumaro, who you basically kept and lost Isaiah Hodgins for, which would have really helped you, I think, right now, having yeah, Isaiah Hodgins yeah. on the team. So I, I think that it's probably, uh, it's probably safe to say, too, that um, – Crowder will be gone as well. So I think if you go in next year with your one, two, three going into this offseason as Diggs, Gabe Davis, and Beasley, and then the rest is up for debate. And, and obviously Kula Shakir, who I think is, is really kind of emerging mm-hmm. and maybe can be that number three guy. Um, but I would like to see this team bring back Cole Beasley because I think he's a cheap veteran and he plays well with Josh Allen and they need guys that can, that can bring a more layered approach to a short passing game. So I think the difficult part of this conversation, Spence, is going to be on the defensive side of the football because you've invested and you've allocated so many dra- so much draft capital, so much free agent dollars. Mm-hmm. Do I want to see Tremaine Edmonds back? I absolutely I do. Do I want to see Jordan Poyer back? One hundred percent, I do. I don't think you can. I think you got to. Re- I think you need to start reallocating money to the offensive side of the football, whether that's in free agency by not by saving the thirteen, twelve, thirteen million you're going to be given to Tremaine Edmonds this year. To yeah. two offensive linemen, maybe even one offensive lineman. I think you have to make that sacrifice with Jordan Poyer. You know, what's he going to make? Is he going to make 11, 12 million? I think you might have to use that and go get yourself another offensive weapon and say, we're going to have to draft some guys or have to draft a replacement at safety, draft a replacement at linebacker. I got to say that, you know, the, the kid that they drafted in the third round from Baylor last year has largely been a disappointment. Didn't really see a lot of the field. Um, and I think that was a miss. They cannot miss on second and third round picks anymore. If this team, yeah. if, see, if this team is going to get back on track and find themselves back in the Super Bowl sort of favorite spotlight like they were to start this year, they're going to have to hit home runs on their first, second, and third round picks this year because that has really been the thing to me that maybe hasn't gotten enough focus. They have not drafted well. They just no. have not. And that creates a very difficult, like a much smaller margin for error for this, for this team and this franchise moving forward. But yeah, man, I don't want to see Tremaine Edmonds go anywhere, but I, I don't know how you watch that game and say, I'll take my chances with the defense giving up points. If I can protect Josh Allen and give him more weapons, let's get into a, a track, a track meet and, and try to score more points. 
Yeah, to me, to me, the way I'm looking at it, man, we need to use the draft, the early picks on offense, whether it's the offensive line or receiver or another tight end after Knox or something. I think we move on from Sweeney. I think we move on from, you know, so I think, but, but no, I, I agree with you hundred percent. You know how I feel about Edmonds. You know how I feel about Poyer. I obviously want those guys back. I also want them to go and get their bag. So if they can go and get paid somewhere, go get paid. But at the yeah. same time, for me, what I'm looking at, and that's what I'm saying I, earlier, I mentioned, I love I love Frazier. I think Frazier's consistently allowed us to say, man, the offense didn't show up for the defense here. Right. And, and it hasn't been the opposite. But but now you and I had a private conversation not too long ago where, I, where we both agreed, like, we can't be what the Green Bay Packers have been to Aaron Rodgers. That's right. You, you, feel like you got this generational talent at quarterback so he can elevate everybody's play. And then you just kind of like forget about you forget about the offense and say, well, yep. let's and you can't do that. Granted, Devontae Adams played better than his. I mean, he was a second rounder, so it's not like you. But we can't expect everybody drafted in the fifth round to be digs. Like, granted, he was drafted there. He plays bigger than his draft. We can't expect everybody to be Antonio Brown early on in his career. Right. We can't expect. So at some point, it's like, look, go and get the guy. Go and get the guy. Now, granted, we traded away the first round pick for Jefferson. I think Jefferson would have played phenomenally in this offense with, with yeah. Josh Allen. But I'm happy for Diggs. Like I'm so I think that was the most even trade. But going forward, man, now this year in the draft, there's nobody in the first round that I think that will be there when we draft that makes me say, Hey, get that receiver in round one. Right. Round two, there's some guys, you know, but offensive line needs improvement. Just just in general now, we, we got a couple minutes left here. Um, in general, we're you're right. We can't miss <laughs> on this draft anymore. We missed on Cody Ford. We missed on – you mentioned last year we missed in the third round. We mm-hmm. missed, Like I can I can probably name a few. What do, you, what do you want to happen in this offseason? You don't have to name specific guys, but free agent and draft, like what what's the philosophy this year for you going in if you were Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean? Yeah, I think you might have to look at the first round based on where they are. I think receiver or safety um, has got to probably be the move for you there in the first round at the end of the first round, 28th overall, right? I, you know, the kid from uh, Alabama, the safety has been someone that I think a lot of people are, are maybe natural. I think if you're looking at mock drafts, you're seeing a lot of the Bills taking the Alabama safety. Um, I, I don't know what the wide receiver group, I, they've been getting taken earlier and earlier in these drafts. Um, is Zay Flowers going to be there available? I would love to have Zay Flowers. You know, is um, one of the Tennessee receivers going to be there? Like, to me, I think it's it's wide receiver or safety best available of those two positions with the first round pick. And then in this offseason, I think the Bills really need to get aggressive on going out and getting a starting caliber offensive guard. Um, someone that I, I like Ryan Bates. I think he is a, a good piece for you. They need a stud left guard because – I think it's it's about time that you put somebody next to uh, Deion Dawkins that can free him up to be a little bit more independent on the edge and mm-hmm. not have to worry so much about what's happening to his right, where he can really focus on the things happening to his left. And I and I yeah. I would maybe yeah. rather not want to see the Bills draft a guard and let him grow early um, at the guard position. I'd, I'd like to see them go get a veteran. There's plenty of good veterans that you can go out and sign this year that are you know, coming off their, their rookie contracts, 26, 27 years old, um, you know, and, or, or maybe they look and they say, we'll take our chances. We'll draft a guy in the second round at the guard position that we can be as a plug and play starter, a guard. And we're going to go out and sign Mike McGlinchey to be our right tackle of the future. And then we've got, you know, Spencer Brown as our swing tackle. Maybe that is what they look to do. I, I, 
I think the right side, the right tackle and left guard positions are one A and one B, the two most important things this Bills team needs to address in the offseason. Wide receivers right there. I think you could also say I'd like to see them go find a good complimentary running back to James Cook. Um, I'm not sure if that's going to be Naeem Hines. It didn't really look like they wanted to use him that way. So we'll see what that sort of looks like. I think he's going to be their primary kick returner and maybe pass catching back. But this backfield's James Cook's now. And, and I think if you can find some good, two good pieces to upgrade this offensive line, it could unlock him a little bit more. It could mm-hmm. free Josh Allen up to do a little bit more as well and have better more time and not take so many hits within the pocket. Um, so, yeah, the, I think those are, to me, the things. And then, obviously, you know, you're going to have to replace Tremaine Edmonds, I think. I, I just don't think this team's going to hand out a $100 million contract. Uh, I saw Greg Tom said earlier, cover one, post a, you know, a six-year, $106 million contract that, you know, that that lightens the load on the cap hit that would that would be this year. I, it's just so much money, man, for a middle linebacker that you haven't gotten to the promised land with. So I, I think that's that's kind of, you know, they've got a lot of difficult decisions, man. And they're going to have to restructure some guys, make a couple of difficult decisions and cuts. Um, but all in all, like, I think they got to focus on their offense, offensive line and wide receiver. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, that's your man, Nate Geary of WGR 550 joining us. Hey, I, I normally would be able to say of Buffalo rumblings, mm. uh, but you and Bruce have retired the Food for Thought show. Um, do you have any plans on doing a podcast? Do you want your own podcast or anything like that? Like what's happening with that? Yeah, I'm taking a nice little uh, hiatus right now. I'm going to take a couple of weeks off at the radio station too on Saturdays and, and let Zach Jones get in there and get in the driver's seat and talk a little on Saturday afternoons. I've, I've been doing Saturday mornings for 10 years. Uh, I've been doing uh, Friday nights for two years. Um, I need a little, I need a little R and R to get back to, uh, just to kind of get back and, and sort of reset my gears, get ready for the NFL draft, which will be coming up. And I'll be doing a lot of the coverage of GR for that. And I don't know what, what's to come on the, on the podcast side of things. I'm, I'm sort of keeping my options open and uh, you know, we'll see, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of see what comes down the pipeline for me. But for me right now, I think um, some well, well-deserved rest is in my future. There's no doubt about that. For sure. All right. Well, I just want you to know, just like Sean Payton, we have your rights. So when you try to come back, <laughs> when you try to Deal. come back and Deal. you got to you got to talk to Buffalo Rumblers first. But, hey, Deal. man, I appreciate you joining me today. Course, Ladies bro. and gentlemen, my man, my brother, Nate Geary. Uh, and y'all know how we do it over here with Dakota Conduct. Y'all love each other. Take care of each other. Live in peace. And as always, stay positive. Test negative. Go Bills. Code of Conduct. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.